Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. Today's conversant is Erin Brewer, who is on the road promoting and actually handing out a bunch of her children's books titled Always Erin. Erin had some very severe gender dysphoria as a young girl and worked through that and now wants to spread the word that gender dysphoria doesn't mean that one necessarily needs to be put on hormone blockers and then proceed down a medicalized path. There are other options out there and Erin's trying to bring awareness to this. She's on the road right now. Check out her Facebook page, which is linked in the description that will tell you where she is and where she's been and where she's going. And maybe you can meet up with her if you are so inclined. Without further ado, here is Erin Brewer. So what have you been up to? Well, I guess I have been on the road for about a month. Um, This morning I woke up in Conway, Missouri Went to Oklahoma, and now I'm in Texas for um, a couple of days. <laughs> I started out in... Are you, is this a road chase or a tour? Well, it's a campaign. I'm calling it a campaign. Um, basically, uh, the organization that I work for, or that I helped co-found, it's a nonprofit called Partners for Ethical Care. They bought uh, 150 of these books. And what I'm doing is I am traveling the country stopping at libraries and donating a copy. I'm also donating copies to therapist offices, to churches, uh, a few uh, clinics that I've stopped into, and some of the hosts that I've stayed with. So, uh, And then I'm also uh, just meeting with people and trying to kind of raise awareness about what's happening with children because uh, what I found is that there are really a lot of people who have no idea that children as young as eight years old are getting put on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and 13-year-olds are having their breasts cut off and 15-year-olds are having their testicles removed and that the many of the states have actually banned the therapy that helped me resolve my transgender identity when I was a child. And so the book that I wrote is actually about that um, to try and just show there's a different pathway because I don't think a lot of people realize that there are alternatives at this point. Mm-hmm. And that situation of child transition, uh, to use the, the most uh, polite term for it, is happening kind of in mass, right? It's happening it really, way yeah, more it, often than ever. It's, well, what's happened is that the... The, the treatment that actually has been proven effective has been banned in so many places. And that's um, actually talk therapy, which is what helped me when I was a kid. Um, a supportive home environment, supportive teachers, and talk therapy. And activists have banned that therapy under the auspice of conversion therapy, um, which, which is just really um, disingenuous because conversion therapy is something that you know most people envision maybe electroshock therapy, or, uh, you know, praying the gay away. 
some really invasive things, even maybe reparative rape as being conversion therapy. But the activists have sort of put gender identity and talk therapy under that umbrella. So when they're making these laws to ban conversion therapy, they're banning the actual treatment that is most effective for gender dysphoria. And so kids don't really have any other treatment paths other than being medicalized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why do you think that that worked for you? Why did talk therapy work for you? Or how did it facilitate right. a resolution with your dysphoria? And that's an excellent question. And it's because just like most other people that I've talked to who have experienced gender dysphoria, the dysphoria was caused by an underlying issue. It was, it's not that I'm inherently uh, born in the wrong body or that, you know, somehow my gender is wrong. It's that um, I experienced a sexual trauma when I was a very young child. And as a result of that, I I didn't want to be a girl anymore. And so one of the things that little kids do when they're traumatized is to disassociate from themselves. And they actually oftentimes will create a whole nother identity so that they can kind of pretend that that trauma happened to somebody else and not Mm. them. And that's what happened to me. So in kindergarten, I was kind of a happy-go-lucky little kid. And then first grade came around and I was aggressive. I was insisting that was my name was Timothy. I was, you know, um, physically, um, you know, fighting, trying to, you know, almost acting uh, more like a boy than the other boys to sort of show I'm, I'm actually a boy. I wanted to go into the boys' bathrooms. I wanted to be called Timothy. And my first grade teacher was so concerned that she called in the school psychologist to do an assessment. And I'm really thankful for that because if they had just affirmed me and said, okay, you're a boy, um, we'll go ahead and treat you like a boy, then all that self-shame that I had as a result of the sexual assault, all of that need to, to disassociate from myself and create a new identity would have been reinforced. Instead, I got help and I was able to slowly accept that I am a woman or I would be a woman, that I'm a girl, that I was a girl and I would grow up to be a woman, and that it wasn't my body's fault that I had been assaulted. Hmm. And I didn't realize that other people had experienced this until I started to speak out about it. And I've talked to, and you've talked to many um, detransitioners who experienced some kind of trauma in their life that kind of kicked them into this gender dysphoria. And so the the treatment for that is going to be to resolve those underlying feelings, not to tell them they're inherently flawed and that the only way to treat it is to damage their body. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's the, an airplane flying overhead. <laughs> I yeah. hope it's not too loud. <laughs> I can hear it. Um, I don't know how fair this is, but it seems like this disassociation or dissociation from the body uh, that was used to be treated as a multiple personality disorder, but that got a, out of hand, kind of like transition got out of hand. And then it was reclassified. It was reclassified as dissociate, dissociative disorder or something like that. But now there's an approved dissociation uh, across gender lines. That is the approved official. You can dissociate from your body. No questions asked. And we will fast track you into affirmative care. 
and and encourage you. And to me, that's so disturbing because as someone who suffers from, um, I was actually diagnosed with the dissociative identity disorder, um, which I believe is what multiple personality disorder sort of was the, um, you know, like you mentioned, I think I'm so glad you said that because um, very much like multiple personality disorder became this huge thing, I think after, you know, there was some press and some movies and then everybody was being diagnosed with multiple personality disorder. The thing is, when I was um, working with therapists, they didn't encourage me to, to disassociate. They encouraged me to integrate. They encouraged me to accept who I am. And um, they saw that disassoci- disassociation as um, a disease, you know, as a, as a disorder um, because it wasn't functional. It wasn't helping me to um, be more successful and productive and um, accepting of myself. So it really is, it's really discouraging to me that we have this whole new um, approach to basically encourage that disassociation. And we have activists encouraging that disassociation. When we have, you know, teenagers who are uncomfortable with themselves, then we have activists now saying, well, that's okay. It's because you were born in the wrong body. Go ahead and transition. And I just, I can't even imagine the devastation to my health that that kind of medical transition would have caused. Um, I already have some autoimmune issues um, as an older person. I can't imagine, you know, if my joints are this bad (laughs) without having taken Lupron and cross-sex hormones, I can't imagine what, you know, what kind of shape I'd be in if I'd gone that route. And the fact that kids aren't even um, given the opportunity to resolve those issues, I feel like it's a, it's, it's a, it's a medical abuse that's happening. And I feel like these kids, as I talk to detransitioners, I've, I feel like they have been, they, you know, the initial trauma that caused them to develop the dysphoria in the first place. And then this huge betrayal by teachers and parents and healthcare providers who basically said, we're going to transition you. And they didn't give these kids the opportunity to resolve those underlying issues. So they have this huge betrayal now, as well as damaged bodies. And so part of my campaign is just to bring as much awareness to this as possible so that uh, we can we can shift this because um, this is this is uh, this is not the appropriate medical intervention. There's no evidence to support it as being valid. In fact, most studies show that the dysphoria doesn't resolve, that often what happens is they is these kids, they get they get pushed down this path and they, they take every medical intervention possible, realize it hasn't helped, and then they're a mess because they have damaged their bodies, often they're financially in debt, they're medicalized for life, and they still haven't dealt with the underlying issues that caused the dysphoria in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so your book is a children's book? It's aimed at children? Yeah, actually, it, it is. And um, so it's, you know, it's got nice, friendly illustrations um, for kids. This is the uh, opposite of I Am Jazz, I'm, I'm going to assume. Well, exactly. And when somebody first suggested that I write a children's book, I was sort of mortified at the idea. Because <laughs> I was hmm. like, how on earth can I write a children's book about, you know, this, you know, a pretty brutal sexual assault that happened to me and the resulting kind of catastrophe um, that happened to my psyche. Um, but then I thought if, if, if they can, if kids are exposed to I Am Jazz, which is a book that tells them that it's possible to be born in the wrong body, 
then I can certainly write a book about what happened to me in a way that is gentle and um, honest and also provides important information for both uh, the, the students, their teachers, their parents, librarians, healthcare providers, just an alternative narrative to I Am Jazz. And um, for the most part, I've had really good uh, welcoming when I've gone to libraries. I just walk in cold call and introduce myself, <laughs> tell them what I'm doing, give them a copy of the book and explain a little bit about the background and then engage in conversation with them. And um, other than Laramie, Wyoming, where the librarian came up and she had they, them pronouns <laughs> written on her, you know, um, on her lanyard. <laughs> hmm. Other than that, I've had really good um, conversations. And the, for the most part, the librarians have been really, really thankful that I've, um, that I've brought this book to them because they didn't realize that they're that there were alternative ways to handle what's happening. Hmm. There seems to be a number of very unfortunate uh, kind of cross streams coming on that's negatively impacting children, the children that you're speaking about. We have the activists, the hardcore activists, and then their entire infrastructure. But we also have a cultural climate of, um, I guess, uh, radical LGBT etc. acceptance. And that's being pushed by a lot of adults uh, as a lifestyle. And uh, it seems if you look at what it's made out of it, it is a belief system, this gender ideology, this gender belief system. It's founded on very specious claims, to say the least. And yet the adherents to this are pretty darn uh, fundamentalist. Um, the, the core belief system is pretty soggy and they make up for that with conviction it <laughs> yeah, seems they're like. fervent. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and that's something that's really scary to me um one of the things that really concerns me is um i actually talked to um somebody at a media outlet on my travels who um when i came up to the desk she said that she was a lesbian who was married to a le another lesbian and she was so happy that i was doing this because the lesbian community is being decimated that any girl who is presenting as, a, you know, a tomboy or a butch lesbian is getting the message that they're actually born in the wrong body and being pushed down this route. And so there's sort of been a move, a, you know, a slow growing movement among the LGB to separate from the T because they see that what's happening is damaging them as a community, but also our society by, you know, this preposterous idea that it's possible to be born in the wrong body. This, um, the trans agenda really has become, like you said, almost a, a belief system. To me, it seems like a religious um, doctrine. And anybody who opposes it, you know, is ostracized and called evil and a bigot and a Nazi. Hmm. And, you know, some of the threats I've gotten, I've been called a Nazi so many times I can't even count it, which is just absurd. Wait, how, how, does, how does that, how does that square? Threat. What's, what's Nazi-ish about well, what you're saying? Thing to me. Sorry, I'm sweating so much. I'm not used to the humidity here. <laughs> <laughs> but what's, what's odd is that part of the whole transgender, you know, movement is to accept people's, um, you know, stories to their lived experiences and to celebrate that. But it turns out they only celebrate it if it conforms to their ideology. So I can't tell you how many people have either said you were never trans or, 
you're you're um, internalized, transphobic, and so inside, I really am still born in the wrong body. And if I would just let that out, then I wouldn't be transphobic. Um, I've been told that, you know, I deserve to die. That I'm killing children. That I'm responsible for the deaths of children. And um, you know, everybody who's in Partners for Ethical Care and uh, most of the women that I've talked to who who are speaking out about this have just been vilified to a degree that's it's really unnerving when you have people you know, people saying that we deserve to die for our belief system. And especially when at the heart of our belief system is wanting to protect children from being medically damaged. Mm -hmm. So could you speak to us about Partners for Ethical Care, how that came about, what, what its mission is and how it is affecting its mission? Sure. It's actually, um, when I first started speaking out about this, the only people that I was connecting with was conservative Christians. And um, I, I started kind of speaking out and then connecting with other people who weren't conservative Christians who were also concerned about this. And we decided that we needed to form a group, you know, something that wasn't Heritage Foundation, that wasn't, you know, Alliance to Defending Freedom, Eagle Forum, um, you know, all those very conservative organizations that are fighting this. We wanted to form something that, um, you know, had atheists, that had, you know, people from the LGB community, that was a, you know, more of a mainstream group to fight this so that people would realize that this is not just a Christian conservative issue, that this is an issue that a lot of people um, are concerned about. They're just afraid to speak out about it because they get vilified. Um, I've talked to doctors and teachers and psychiatrists and therapists and, you know, all kinds of people who say, I totally agree with you, but I'm afraid to even post anything on Facebook, or I don't want to say anything because my business will be boycotted, or I can't speak out about this because I will be fired. And so Partners for Ethical Care is trying to be that voice for people. We're collecting stories. We're asking people to submit their experiences so that we can publish them. Um, we have a podcast. We have a, um, a webcast that we do. And um, right now we're actually working on also putting together books that just are um, kind of compilations of stories from different perspectives because so many people are silenced on this issue. And I, I understand why they don't speak out. There's a fair number of parents who are afraid to speak out publicly because they've got kids who are entrenched in this and they don't want to do anything to alienate their relationship further with their child. And so there are all sorts of reasons. So we're really trying to be um, the voice for people who have been silenced. Mm -hmm. and, and, and coming from a more um, neutral perspective, one that isn't, you know, based in um, Christian, conserv um, Christian um, conservatism. Yeah, yeah. I, I ideologically open uh, to mm -hmm. many points of view. That is one of the fascinating aspects of this particular um, topic is that the, um, the skeptics of this gender centric movement are from people who want to eradicate gender as a concept to people who think that it's actually, you know, conservative Christian has a pretty yeah. stolid idea of what man and woman is actually that they're, you know, Christianity and Judeo Christianity is built out of, you know, male and female all the way up. Uh, so it's interesting to see who is actually, or what is being, what people are responding to and how that might shed light on what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman, um, 
with gender, without gender, what it, what is your take at this point? Uh, stepping out of your non-ideological position, what is your <laughs> actual take on on gender and sex? Well, it's interesting because it's shifted somewhat in the past couple of years. And it's shifted because the trans movement has been increasingly encroaching upon women's spaces. And so um, I do believe there's a difference between male and female. If there weren't a difference, then we wouldn't need sex-segregated spaces. We wouldn't need sex-segregated sports. And so the fact that we do need those and we recognize that means there is an inherent difference between men and women. Um, And I've actually talked to uh, people. um, I talked to one doctor who did a study. He's actually trans, you know, completely 100% supportive of trans people, Mm -hmm. thinks trans people should participate in sports. But even in his study, um, it showed that a male who transitions, even after a year on hormone suppressants and estrogen, has a 10% advantage over women in sports, which is huge. 10% is huge. Um, And so it's really clear. And and from my perspective, as a woman, I, I don't want men in my sex segregated spaces. I'm I'm very uncomfortable with the idea that if I'm in the locker room, I could be changing next to a biological male fully intact who simply says he's female because now they can just self ID. Mm-hmm. And that if I complain about it, I'm going to be the one who's vilified. Um, to me, that, that is just completely unfair. It's erasing all this, all the, um, advances that women had made. One of the reasons that we need women's bathrooms is because women are vulnerable to sexual assault and harassment when they're in, um, when they're in these kind of situations. And one of the ways that women were able to kind of get out there in the world and make advances is because they did have specific bathrooms for themselves. Um, there are women who are in refugee camps in some places and they have to wear diapers at night because if they go out, they will be sexually assaulted. And I don't know if you can hear the airplane again. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Maybe it brings some levity to this very serious topic. I mean, the fact that women have to wear diapers instead of going to the to bathrooms where they could get raped is to me just such an indication of the differences between men and women. Uh, One of the things that I've really been aware of as I've traveled is that I'm a woman and I'm more vulnerable. I'm staying in, um, I'm staying in, um, I'm renting rooms. So um, most of what I'm doing is through Airbnb and I'm renting rooms in homes where I'm sharing bathrooms with strangers, where I'm sharing homes with strangers. And I'm acutely aware of the fact that if, that I'm more vulnerable as a woman and, um, and that's just something that women women have to be conscientious of. When I'm traveling, um, I'm very conscious of you know where I stop um, if I need to make a pit stop. I've actually um, chosen to you know run into the woods rather than going to a bathroom sometimes because I haven't felt comfortable with the environment. Now, if if I have to worry about men being in these bathrooms and locker rooms, um, it really it, it it for me it means I don't want to go. I don't want to go to these places anymore, which is um, the reason that women started advocating for sex-based spaces in the first place, is that they needed them to be safe and they needed them to, um, you know, to be able to to go out in the world and, and be participating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even if the 
even if the instances of assault and uh, etc. are rare, it's still important to avoid them. And if well, and what I always say is that if there's a man who self IDs as a woman and he's ignoring our concerns, basically what he's doing is saying your consent doesn't matter. That makes him a predator. And I've talked to transsexual males who, who you know, fully present as, as a female who go into the men's bathrooms because they understand this concept that the very act of them appropriating women's spaces is predatory. And so even if that particular um, male isn't going to, you know, actively sexually assault women, the very act of coming into our spaces without our consent is an act of, um, is a predatory act. And so, um, and we also know that predators use um, situations to their advantage. So if you're a predator and all of a sudden you realize all you have to do is say you're a female to gain access to women's spaces, there, you know, it's, it's absurd to think that predators will not do that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that there are, you know, some perfectly, um, you know, benign um, trans-identified males who, you know, wouldn't sexually assault women. I'm not trying to say that, you know, anybody who presents as a transsexual or trans-identified male um, would actually assault women. But it is that act of appropriating our spaces when we're saying no that, um, that suggests that they're predatory in nature. And just because some women say yes doesn't take away my consent. So another woman can say, oh, I don't mind if they're in there. But if one woman says no, then that should be enough for them to say, okay, I'm not welcome in there. If they continue to to go into those spaces, that's an act of of, um, kind of violating our consent. It's a predatory act. And so I feel like really what I would like to see happen is for this movement to, to work on men. And if, if, if these, um, if men who want to wear dresses and lipstick and makeup are uncomfortable going into men's rooms, then that's something we need to work on to help them feel more comfortable going into men's bathrooms. But to just say, well, it's okay, you come into women's bathrooms, that's not fair or reasonable. Hmm. So you're traveling across the Americas. What what are some of the things you're picking up on uh, beyond just what you're doing? What are you uh, getting a sight into? Well, I have so much more hope than I did when I left. I was, I was, I was pretty down when I left, feeling uh, pretty defeated um, because I'm in Utah and we had some legislative efforts that looked so close to passing. And then the rumor is that the owner of the Utah Jazz went and talked to legislators and said, if we pass this legislation, we're going to lose the all-star game. So let's not pass it right now. And so what I felt was the really legislation? Um, it was the Vulnerable Child Protective Protection Legislation to ban the um, use of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries on minors. And it, and we had thought it was going to pass, and it looked really, really positive. And then, you know, there was this thing that happened, and it was just um, suddenly it wouldn't get out of committee. And so I was really disheartened. But as I've been traveling, I found, first of all, people are just incredibly kind. I've just had a great time. I'm typically an introvert. I've talked to more people on this trip than I typically talk to in probably two years. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I tend to be really introverted. But I have discovered that people are wonderfully kind, um, helpful, 
and interested. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And that's the other thing that, um, again, that, um, that uh, the belief that anybody who's concerned about this must be, you know, a right wing QAnon, Trump supporting nutcake. Hmm. Um, and, and so just having these one on one conversations has been really amazing. And I've just, I've really got more faith in humanity than I have had for a long time. Hmm. Um, the other thing that I've discovered is that um, showers can be really complicated. <laughs> so I'm going into all these different homes and every shower is different. <laughs> and so that's been a challenge. I had no idea there were so many different ways to design a shower. <laughs> so I just noticed my battery's getting low, so I don't know how long we've been going, but well, let's uh, let's wrap it up then. Where are you? How long are you going to be on the road? And are you sharing your location so people can uh, support you or, or hook up with you somewhere yeah. or somehow? Excellent question. So on Facebook, I have it's called Always Aaron Taking It to the Streets Facebook, where I'm sharing what I'm doing, um, and I'm going to be in Texas until the third. I'm going to stay here for Jeff Younger's trial. Um, He has a hearing where he believes he might go to jail. His ex-wife's trying to transition his son, and he's trying to fight it. Um, But he broke a gag order and spoke publicly about what's happening. So I'm going to go to that, and then I'm heading over to uh, Mississippi, and then Alabama, and then Louisiana. Um, (laughs) I know. And then I'm going to slowly make my way back to Utah. So it's going to be about a month before I get home, maybe longer. Um, I have... 100 books that I'm picking up here in Texas, and I want to make sure that I get all of those donated before I, I end up back on my doorstep. <laughs> oh, wow. What a what a road trip. Um, yeah. What a way to celebrate the end of lockdown insofar as uh, we get a uh, break from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And people just, again, I've just been um, overwhelmed with how kind and supportive people have been. Well, excellent. Excellent, Aaron. Well, thank you for joining me and thanks for uh, doing what you're doing. I'll send people the link that's in the description so they can uh, either hook up with you or support you uh, verbally or however they wish to do so. Um, and keep up the good fight. And oh, the and partners... yeah, one thing I did want to mention is that yeah. all of the profits from the book go back into par- Partners for Ethical Care. Okay. And so um, some people have accused me of doing this to make money. I'm not making money. This is a self-funded trip. And all profits from the book go back into the um, Partners yeah. for Ethical Care to buy more books to donate to more places. Yeah. there There's very little to no money to be made off of any sort <laughs> yeah. of book nowadays. <laughs> Labor of but love is, all the way there down. There is change that can be made. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm hoping. Is that these just these personal interactions will kind of be that pebble in the in the lake that will make ripples out mm-hmm. and will affect other people. Excellent. And thank you, Benjamin, for for um, talking to me. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. You look very happy and uh, connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling really. This, you know, it's when I was sitting at home not doing anything. I felt so impotent and, and mm. restrained and like helpless. But now that I'm doing this, I just feel like, okay, this is what we need to do. Everybody needs to get out there and have these conversations. Mm-hmm. On, on a variety of topics, actually, on, on a variety of things. Exactly. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do. 
to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.